There are a lot of people out there who want to teach you about the Bible, including me. But with all of the teachers out there, and that's pastors, church leaders, authors, speakers, podcasters, bloggers, with all of those kinds of people out there, how do we pick? How do we differentiate between the good ones, the solid ones, and the not-so-solid ones, the people who are fighting on the right side of important battles or the people who are fighting on the wrong side, the strong ones and the weak ones? How do you know which ones are the good ones and which ones aren't? That is what you're going to find out in this episode. So first, I want to talk about false teachers. Or rather, I want to talk about how I don't want to talk about false teachers. Uh, False teachers exist, but everyone seems to draw the line in a different place. The the definition of a of a false teacher is on it seems to be on a spectrum for a lot of people, and that spectrum is broad. Some people I think draw the line too far, and some people I think maybe a lot of people, maybe most people, don't draw the line far enough. But there are teachers who appear good. They appear to love people and love God. They appear to get the gospel right, but they make terrible conclusions from scripture that would lead people in the wrong way on a lot of very important issues, a lot of very important moral issues, scriptural issues, theological issues. But also they might just simply lead people away from God, even if they themselves actually do love God and they are woefully deceived in a lot of ways. Is that a false teacher? I might say so. You might not say so. And I think that's okay. As long as there is a line at somewhere that you're drawing and you're basing that line on scripture. Uh, Do we call someone a false teacher when they say 100 very wrong things? Probably. Do we call someone a false teacher when they say 10 very wrong things? I don't know. Do we call someone a false teacher when they say one very wrong thing? It probably depends on the thing. I don't know. So I'm not framing this episode though in terms of false teachers. I'm framing this episode in good teachers and bad teachers, good teaching and bad teaching, because I think ultimately we need to treat false teachers and bad teachers in a lot of ways the same, as in what we do with them is we avoid them. We don't want to be following and taking in the theology of bad teachers. We don't want to be following and taking in the theology of false teachers, whatever those are. And I think it's a lot easier to draw the line where a bad teacher is. And that is exactly what we're going to talk about in this episode. So first, how do we draw the line? So first, I think a good teacher, the thing we need to look for, uh, and really the only thing, and I'm going to break this down, um, the only thing, the the, the first thing we need to look for in a good teacher is that they are biblical that they follow scripture, that they're consistent with scripture, scripture, that they're teaching, and their behavior is consistent with scripture. Uh, But it seems as though many people define biblically differently. And it doesn't matter what I mean by biblical. It doesn't matter what you mean by biblical. It matters what the Bible means. We need to be putting not our meaning into scripture when we read it, but we need to be taking the meaning in scripture out. That is how we understand scripture properly. And ultimately, 
even if we try to do that, our definition of biblical is going to be different. Now, I'm absolutely not arguing for some kind of subjectivism. I think there is an objective meaning that is in the Bible. In passages, there is a correct way to interpret things and there is an incorrect way of interpreting things. Some people interpret many things correctly. Some people interpret many things in the Bible incorrectly. And if we, I think, are sincerely trying to interpret the Bible correctly, if we care about truth, if we are not trying to put our own thoughts into Scripture, then we're much more likely to be interpreting Scripture properly. But as for other people, it's hard to tell what they're doing sometimes. They can seem to be interpreting Scripture properly. They can they can seem to be humble. They can appear as though they are... Uh, you know, they could, they could talk about how they're exegeting the passage and then they could be doing exactly the opposite. It's hard to tell sometimes. And so I think we need to have other categories that kind of help or assist us understand if someone is actually being biblical or not. And so the second and I think the most important way that we can tell somebody is biblical is this especially now where the church is so divided christianity is divided our nation is divided on a lot of very important moral biblical issues i think a good teacher needs to be outspoken on those issues a good teacher needs to be outspoken they need to have the right opinions and they need to be outspoken on controversial cultural issues with a clear biblical solution so I'll, I'll walk you through what some of those are. One, abortion. Abortion is murder. And so we need to treat murder the way God treats murder in the Bible. We need to hate murder the way that God hates murder in the Bible. We need to punish murder and those involved in murder the way that God would punish those involved in murder. Uh, that is a huge issue, especially right now, that is prevalent in our culture. Abortion. It's huge. Even Christians are divided on this. You cannot have a good teacher who is pro-choice. In other words, pro-murder. You cannot have a good teacher. You cannot follow a teacher who is pro-murder. If a person appears to be biblical and they are defending in any way abortion, then that actually means they're not biblical. So this is how we can use these things to gauge if a person is actually biblical or not. We look at their opinions on these important issues, and if they are on an unbiblical side, we recognize there is something wrong. There's something twisted about the way that they're actually interpreting Scripture, so we ought to avoid these people. Or if there's someone close to us, we need to confront these people. We need to have a conversation with these people, try to change their minds. And then if they refuse, then we need to avoid them. The, another really important issue today, sexual identity. How about that? We need to treat, again, sexual identity the way that God treats sexual identity. He made them male and female. There's no changing that. God hates sexual sin. God seems to hate sexual sin a lot more than other kinds of sins because sexual sin seems to be 
grounded in, in kind of a denial of the natural order. You're not only sinning against someone else, but you're sinning against yourself. You're sinning against God and the way God made you. Especially with sexual identity, where you you deny the very foundation of reality to say that there are multiple genders, multiple sexes, whatever. It is a denial of reality, and it's a huge problem. And if somebody doesn't treat sexual identity the way that God treats sexual identity, then they need to be avoided. Transgenderism. We Again, we need to treat this, which ties into sexual identity, the way that God treats it, which uh, is transgenderism impossible. There's no such thing. A person cannot change the way that God made them, the their DNA. It's just impossible. It is a denial of reality to affirm transgenderism in any way. It has no place in the Christian life. Uh, it has no place in the church. Um, now, that's not to say that people who believe this in general should be avoided. I think teachers should. That's not to say that we should avoid uh, women who have committed abortions. That's not to say that at all. We ought to have deep and great compassion and love for these people. We need to have compassion and love for everybody, for the people who affirm the existence of multiple sexes and genders and um, the, the illusion of our ability to change those. We need to love those people. We need to try to change their minds and bring them into back into reality. However, if there's a teacher... Uh, we ought, we also ought to try to change their minds if we have the ability to, but we don't follow them. We don't take their words seriously because they're denying reality. So if somebody believes these things, we th- th- there's a huge hole in their theology somewhere. We might not see where exactly the hole is, where exactly they're twisting theology, but we can see the consequence of these holes, which is these... the, the um, these bad values that they end up having. Another thing, critical race theory. It's a false religion. It doesn't come from the Bible. It has its roots solely in Marxism. It desires to split the world into categories of power dynamics. That also has no place in a Christian life. It is a false religion. It is a false idol. We need to treat... False religions, the way that God treats false religions, which is to deny them completely, outright. How about lockdowns? We need to treat gathering the way that God treats gathering. Did a teacher encourage churches to lock down through the rigmarole of the past couple of years? And if they did... uh, Did they change their mind? Did they repent quickly? Did they reopen their church or did they encourage churches to reopen and then publicly repent for this? Did they encourage people to faithfully gather in spite of what the government said? Knowing that the government doesn't have the God-given authority to control what the church does. Just like the church doesn't have the God-given authority to control what the government does. These are two different spheres. Do they have this understanding? If a person is guilty of any of the wrong views above, they can repent. They can change their minds. 
or do they defend it? Or do they stay silent and wait for this to blow over? I know of many people who they shut their churches down and they reopened whenever the government said so. And maybe they realized, man, I shouldn't have done that. That's a good thing. But some people shut their churches down, reopened, and they thought, yeah, it was a good idea. And they don't, they don't repent. They don't change. They don't say anything. They don't say we were wrong. That's a bad thing. I use, there, there are other examples like the above issues. Especially the, the huge cultural controversial issues. I think those are the things that we especially need to look at when we're looking for good teachers and bad teachers. It's really easy to take a hard stance on something that the culture doesn't care about. The conservative or the liberal culture, the church culture or the secular culture. It's really easy to take a hard stance on something that that doesn't really matter to the culture. But it's really hard to take a hard stance on something that the culture takes seriously. Either on the conservative side or the liberal side. Some pastors, some church leaders, authors refuse to take a position because they they don't want to be divisive. Because, of course, unity is a biblical value, right? Well, I think these are the things that are actually causing division. There is division in churches. I think if on any single one of these issues, if your church is remotely close to 50-50, then your leadership is failing. If followers of some big-shot theological author who refuses to take a public stand on these things, like a public theological author, a well-known name, refuses to take a stand on these issues, they're failing. So you might shoot back and say, some people might shoot back and say, a person shouldn't have to spend time talking about all of these things. You shouldn't, I mean, you know, if if somebody writes books, they're they're not going to write a book about CRT, abortion, transgenderism. They're they're not going to write all those books. Um, however, if if this happens to be you, send me a single popular living biblical teacher, Bible teacher. I mean, <laughs> who doesn't make their opinions known about a single one of these things? in their books, from the pulpit, from Twitter, social media. Send me a single one. So if you think a person shouldn't have to talk about these things, show me one that doesn't. Because it seems to me that it's going to be a very, very rare case. I can't think of a single one. However, what if a person actually doesn't say something about these things? I think if they don't, you know, maybe they haven't had the chance. Maybe if they've written their first book, Or maybe if they're just not on social media. You might not know what their opinions are about these things. But if a person intentionally avoids talking about these things, uh, I think one of three things is happening uh, in the realm of they're hiding something for some reason. I think there are three reasons that they could be hiding something. One is that they're misinformed or they're ignorant. They don't recognize how important these issues are. Uh, they don't recognize that that the church and the nation is crumbling because of a lot of these issues. They don't, uh, you know, turn on the news for five seconds and see them talking about the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Uh, 
Which means if they're just misinformed about these things or they're blind and that's why they're avoiding talking about these things intentionally, I think they're blind to these serious issues and that's a problem. They need to be educated. You might want to approach this teacher if it's someone close to you and try to inform them. And then if they still don't take it seriously, then then that means there's a problem. They're not taking something that is a uh, a very serious and clear cultural problem based in very serious and clear biblical values. They're not taking it seriously. And I think that exposes a problem. I think the second reason that a person could intentionally not be uh, not share their opinions about these things is because they agree with you, but they don't want to offend the people who disagree with you. In which case, they're cowards. They're afraid of offending people. And they shouldn't be on these very serious moral issues. Uh, Jesus wasn't afraid to offend people based on serious moral issues. The disciples, the prophets, not a single character in the Bible, were afraid of offending people on serious moral issues. The third reason that they could be hiding something intentionally is that they don't agree with you and they're afraid of offending you, in which case they're trying to trick you into continue following them even though you disagree with them on very significant moral issues in which case you also shouldn't follow them, and they're also a coward. I would rather see religious leaders coming out very clearly on the wrong side, right, than people not coming out very clearly uh, in general. You know, these are the things that people want to know. They want leaders that that they agree with. They don't want to be following a leader who who morally disagrees with them. And what this means is you're going to have less uh, book followers because you aren't able to manipulate people. (laughs) But the fact is, if truth is important to these teachers, then they would be expressing it. And if truth isn't important, if followers are more important, butts in their pews, if that's more important, money, a paycheck, if that's more important, then they're likely to not be talking about these things because they want as many followers as possible. And then also, I've heard the argument to say, well, we need to, you know, we need to be winsome and attractive and we need to uh, draw as many people in. You know, this is, I I was a youth pastor before and this is a, a very common argument in the youth ministry world. Hey, we need to make our sermons, if you can call them that, as short as possible. We need to exclusively be teaching sermons about like movies or (laughs) video games. And we need to draw the students in with as many games and as much pizza as possible because that's the thing that gets them in. We don't want to give these students theology because that's what turns them away. So we want to bring in as many as possible with pizza and with money and with games and prizes and giveaways so that we can then... Once they're in here and once they don't take us seriously and once we once they realize that we don't actually care about gospel or truth, we care about pizza, then we'll share with them a five-minute sermon about how Jesus loves them so, so much. But it doesn't work. It doesn't work. 
So what if, uh, here's another thing. What if, what if people are just not interested? What if they're not interested in talking about these things? Um, I've, I've seen that too. Like some, some people just don't care to talk about critical race theory. Some people don't care to talk about abortion because it's so easy, um, to, it's, it's easy for them and they realize it should be easy for everybody or that's just not, that's not something I care about. I think where we really need to be arguing and hunkering down is in this deep (laughs) academic issue that goes over the heads of 99% of people. Uh, I think that exposes a problem too. I think it's okay to, um, to care about deep theological academic issues, of course. But I think it's like if you're in a besieged city and there are enemies at your gate with swords and spears and you decide that it's a good use of your time to go learn ballet because what your city really needs right there with the enemies at the gate trying to bust their way in is good quality performance art. There's nothing wrong with performance art necessarily. (laughs) But I think there is when you are living in a world where there are enemies in a very real sense at the gates or in this case already inside your city. We're fighting a battle. We need to be training uh, with swords. We don't need to be training in ballet right now. We can do a little bit of ballet on the side maybe. We can, uh, we can realize that performance art is a good thing. Uh, but as long as we're putting more of our energy into fighting the real battle, then I think that's where we need to be. Christianity, if in most cases we can even call it that, is crumbling in America. And that's obvious to a lot of people. And it should be obvious to everybody. The nation is split, again, obviously, on enormously serious moral and religious issues. If the majority of America is Christian or not, they are still split over these moral issues. And what's worse, you wouldn't expect this, but this is what's happening. Churches are split over the exact same issues that the nation is split over. And all of these, all of the things I mentioned above, are moral issues. These issues are not matters of preference. They are matters of truth. They're matters of... of, I I mean, in the case of Christians, they're matters of biblical truth. There are very clear biblical principles to be able to see that there is a right answer for all of these things. And it is not up for discussion. So what we need in our nation, I see, is that we need some good old-fashioned Reformation-level division. Ooh, scary word, division. Are we... So what I mean by division, I said a lot of... I said earlier that a lot of these uh, religious leaders, they they want... they They say unity. They say that they're saying the things that they say in the way that they say them, and they don't want to offend people for the sake of unity, because unity is a biblical value. But in fact, unity in general 
is not a biblical value. Unity with the right things is a biblical value. And the most important thing that we need to have unity with is the truth. Biblical truth. We need to have unity with God's word. We need to have unity with God. And having unity with the truth means automatically, by definition, that we are dividing with the opposite of truth. We're dividing with the lies. We're dividing with the immoral things when we unite with the moral things. That is the kind of division we need. We need our religious leaders to take a very clear stance for biblical truth. Not for niceness, not for not offending people, not for having a lot of butts in your seats in your church, but we need religious leaders, not a lot of uh, book sales, not uh, having your book in every life way, if life ways still even exist. I think they've shut down. (laughs) So if we choose to unite with anything, we're automatically dividing with the opposite. True, good Unity unites with the truth, so it must divide with lies. These two things I think we need to consider whenever we're looking for teachers. We need to make sure that they're biblical in in all of the, the obvious ways, like they get the gospel right and so on, but also that they are taking a stand on the right side of controversial cultural issues because it means that they're not a coward, It means that they are unafraid to speak the truth. It means that they're actually wanting to educate people and shepherd people. It means that they're actually taking their uh, theology seriously and applying it properly. And that is the kind of teacher that we want. And anyone else could be a false teacher. Definitely a bad teacher. Somebody you don't want to be following. 